Our scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. Hear the word of God. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, Uh, Not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay his Lord, ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. But he refused, and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. I tend to look backward in my life. I suspect one of the reasons that I look back is that I feel like I've had a life that has a lot of good things to look back on. I grew up in a good home, stable, fun, deeply loving. I didn't have much to worry about as a kid, I suppose. Truth is, there are lots of kids who have lots to worry about in this world, and I feel like I was not one of them. But there came a day and a moment when I felt I had a lot to worry about. In the grand scheme of things, again, and in the rankings of childhood worries, this was really nothing much to worry about, but for me in the moment, it was a huge deal. It happened in my sophomore year in high school in my German class. Now, I've never been much for languages. I've taken five languages at different points along the way, and the best I've done is muddled through. I think I can count to 10 in two of those languages. I always had to work hard to get to a B. So one day in German class, after the bell rang, and at the end of the class, my German teacher, Miss Swan, asked if I would stay for a second. So I held back and went up to her desk, where she had opened on her desk her grade book. Never a good sign when the teacher tells you to stay, and she has her grade book open. And I know there aren't grade books anymore. She turned the grade book around and showed me my test and quiz scores for the semester and then pointed me to the average, and the average was a D plus. 
Now, I do not come from a family of rocket scientists, and the McConnell boys were never mistaken as Harvard bound. But there was an expectation in our home that we brought home respectable grades. A's would be good, B's acceptable, C's not so good, but not the end of the world. But D's, oh, no, 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 no. Now, I remember as if it were yesterday, this feeling that came over me as I looked at that D plus in the grade book. It was a combination of panic and shame. It was as if I was staring at a truth about myself that I could not face. So panicked and ashamed I was of the D plus that as soon as I saw it, I ran out of the room. Miss Swan called me to come back, but there was no going back. I was not going back that day. I sprinted down the hall. I just could not face this. It was, I was not and I could not be a D-plus student. 24 hours later, I am back in my German class, pretty, feeling pretty humiliated over this reality about myself when the bell rang again, and again, Miss Swan asked me to stay back. This time, the grade book was closed. And she said to me that the reason that she had pointed out my grade average was that there were still three weeks left in the semester and that she had a plan to get me to a C. You know, come early a couple days a week to tutor, study hard each night, on and on and on. And she thought she could get me to a C. There's not enough time to get you to a B, she said. And I don't think I'm ever going to get you to an A. <laughs> but I know you're not a D. And the good news is there are enough quizzes and finals to get you to a C. I felt like I had just been like handed a pardon from a life sentence. I accepted the plan, I stuck to the plan, and got myself a good solid C. Which still meant a come to Jesus meeting back home with my parents. If they ever knew how close I came to the brink of academic Armageddon, you know, <laughs> God forbid. Now I have to admit to you that this was not my only flirtation with a less than respectable grade and in each case I grew to give thanks to those teachers and professors who were willing to hang in there with me as I faced the reality of who I was and I tried to get better. It was just no fun though, it's just no fun when you're faced with the fact that you're not quite measuring up. When I write my autobiography I will entitle it Humility and How I Attained It. <clears throat> it is, I think, one of the challenges, some would say curses, of being a human being. We are the species who measure ourselves or who let ourselves be measured. I think we're the only species that either measure ourselves or who let ourselves be measured. In millions of American homes, there's a doorframe somewhere that has a bunch of measuring lines of children who have grown up in those homes. Age two, Sally, two feet, eight inches. Age six, John, three feet, 10 inches. Age 12, Julie, four, seven, four feet, seven inches, and up and up and it goes. But those are not the only measurements we take of ourselves, right? There are all sorts of measurements we apply, how we look, how much we learn, how smart we are, how socially acceptable we are, how spiritually pure we are, how morally online we are. And if you're surrounded by all these measuring sticks, there's just no way that any of us are going to completely measure up. There's always going to be some gap, some distance between ourselves and a perfect score. There's always going to be a B minus, a C, a D plus, an F somewhere in our lives. 
And it is a truth that we either try to run away from or we try to face into. A 14-year-old doesn't think she's pretty enough. A 16-year-old doesn't think he's smart enough. A 19-year-old doesn't think he's good enough. A 25-year-old doesn't think she's desirable enough. A 30-year-old mother doesn't think she's a good enough parent. A 50-year-old doesn't think he's rich enough. A 60-year-old doesn't think she's spiritual enough. A 70-year-old doesn't think he's healthy enough. The list goes on and on. We humans live all the time with these measuring sticks. And in so many areas of our lives, we wonder whether we're coming up short, whether we are measuring up. And so we do all sorts of things then to cover up our shortcomings. We work too hard, we gussy up too much, we toot our horns too loud, we buy more than we can afford, we put other people down, we stick to our tribe, and it's all in the effort to somehow run out of the classroom and avoid the reality of who we are, that we are to some degree, to some degree, imperfect, broken, sinful, and in need of someone to help us with our D+. It's not that we don't have a lot going for us. Of course we do. God called us good at the very beginning of time. There are amazing things about each of us. A lot of them we don't even recognize. But to be human, though, is to be reminded more often than we want to be that we, that we don't always measure up. A century or so ago, the London Times took a poll of English intellectuals, and they asked this question, what is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, the great essayist and Roman Catholic apologist, wrote back and said, what is wrong with the world today? Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. And that's a certain truth, right, about all of us, that the world is not a perfect place because we are not perfect people. There are sometimes, there are some things we're just not good at, some things that we have failed at, some responsibilities we have shirked, some expectations we have not met, some people we have let down, some hopes we have not realized. But all this is to be human. It's like the story I've shared before about the mother and father who had two sons, a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old. The boys were continually causing their parents just so much grief. Mischievous would be a polite way of describing their personalities. They were just always getting in trouble when things had gotten to be just too much. The mother mentioned to the father that a new pastor had just come on board at the Presbyterian Church down the road and was reputed to be very good relating to young people. And maybe it would be a good idea to take the boys to see him. Pastor's always the last resort. <laughs> Better that, the father said, than I throttle them. So an appointment was made, and the family arrived at the church together. The young pastor greeted them warmly and asked if he could visit with the boys separately. The parents agreed. So the eight-year-old went into the parent pastor's office first. Pastor and boy sat down. The pastor asked some questions about the boy's interest and then asked, Son, do you, do you know where God is? The boy got a little fidgety. His eyes widened. His lips tightened, and he gave no reply. So the pastor asked a second time, Do you know where God is? 
The boy grew a little bit more fidgety. His eyes got wider, lips tighter, still no reply. Finally, the pastor leaned forward and said, now, I bet you have an answer to that question. Do you know where God is? And with that, the boy jumped out of the seat, ran out of the office, ran through the lobby, out the door with his older brother in hot pursuit. The two of them ran all the way home, jumped into a closet, shut the door. In the darkness, the 10-year-old asked the 8-year-old, what happened back there? And the 8-year-old replied, God's missing, and they're blaming us. To be human is to be saddled to some degree with this sense that we've not measured up, that we are to blame, that we must make up for our sins and that we will never, that we will never be right in the eyes of God. Enter then this story of Jesus. And it's a story about a guy who's in over his head and the hole is deep, the D plus is an F minus, and it's real, it's not just in his head, it's real. And when the bill comes due, he thinks that he can work this out himself, that somehow he can make this all right, he can wipe his own slate clean, but he can't, he needs help, he needs a lifeline. And he limps to the bill collector with his F minus, and says, is there any way we can get this to a C? And the bill collector tears up the bill and says, how about an A? He throws out the measuring stick. He throws out this measuring stick and that measuring stick and that measuring stick. And he says, go and live in grace. Go and live in grace. It is perhaps the greatest benediction a human being can hear. Go and live in grace. Except it's that sentence he doesn't hear. That's the message he doesn't internalize. It's the opportunity he does not seize. That in the kingdom, you live by grace. Because grace is where it all began. It began with all those parts of our lives that we know don't measure up or that we think don't measure up or that we worry don't measure up. And the master comes and says, in my eyes, you will always measure up. You will always measure up, and that's what grace is about. And it's a grace that fills us, and it's a grace that can, if we allow it, to overflow from us. That we are the beloved children of God, even with our incompleteness, even with all of our shortcomings, even with our A's and B's and C's and D's and F's. We live, we thrive by that grace. And the master says, now, now live in it, live in the grace. Because living in the grace will tell you about what to do with all the other people in your life and in the world who don't seem to measure up. And maybe they'll measure up with your ruler. Maybe they'll measure up to somebody else's ruler. But because you're living in grace, you know that it doesn't have anything to do with the measuring sticks. 
It has everything to do with the grace, and it's the grace that puts us on the path to being everything that God would hope us to be. We live our lives in gratitude for what God has already done. We have surveyed the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And now we see ourselves as the channels of the undeserving grace that has come to us. Which leads me to this quote on the front of your bulletin. I should have told you to have this in your lap. It's a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish theologian and philosopher who wrote this simple and profound line that has stuck with me since I read it 30 years ago. Infinite humiliation and grace, and then a striving born of gratitude. This is Christianity. Infinite humiliation and infinite grace and then a striving born of gratitude, which speaks, I think, to the heart of it all, that to be human is to be faced over and over again with these measuring sticks all around us, not the least of which are our own that we apply to ourselves, and we never seem to quite measure up, and we can't seem to get the A. There's this gap. Our humiliation is perpetual. It is infinite. The glass will always seem to us only partly full, but what, else, what also is infinite is grace. There's always grace to match the humiliation, the lack of measure. There's always grace to fill up the cup. There's always grace to have us start again. Where sin abounded, Paul says, grace did much more abound. And when we claim that grace and embrace that grace and swallow that grace and appropriate that grace, then life becomes then this striving born of gratitude. We gratefully strive to be more gracious. Life becomes this journey of giving thanks for all the grace, the grace to us and the grace through us to other human beings who, like us, do not measure up. And who, like us, are the apple in God's eyes. Go and live in grace, the master says. Oh, forgive one time, forgive 10 times, forgive 100 times, forgive 10,000 times. Whatever it takes for the seed to find its soil, the gravy to soak in, the grade to move from D plus to A, because we are all the children of God. And we all need a little help, and we all could stand another chance. 